Welcome to a Bite of D&D podcast. I am Zach, and across from me is my co-host, Micah. And to my right is our guest, Sam. Uh, he's showing up for our first guest episode. How you doing? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm doing okay. Good. Uh, so, the purpose of this longer-form episode is to hear Sam's sweet, sweet tunes uh, for a little bit longer, um, but also to kind of pick his brain um, with regards to a topic and just to get to um, have a bit more of a conversation uh, this time around. Sam, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe what you do in the podcast world? Uh, Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, So my name is Sam. I am from Southeast Kansas. Um, I am a math teacher at a private school. I started playing D&D when I was in college, um, so I started with 3rd edition and have never really given up the hobby, um, mm. so I really enjoy it. I, as a podcaster, um, I am the co-host of a podcast called According to the Technical Rules, um, and we mostly uh, argue and discuss. I think our tagline is we uh, discuss things that matter and argue about things that don't. So a typical episode cool. would see us pro, uh, talking about maybe uh, logical fallacies in social media discourse hmm. about our current president, and then we would move <laughs> on to a discussion about, I don't know whether a Cheeto is a chip or something like that. So Wide uh, range. Yeah, yeah. We do, a lot of, we do a lot of nonsense. It's mostly, it's mostly in the genre of two dudes sitting around. Uh, talking about stuff. And for the so. record, a, a Cheeto is not a chip. I, th- I would say a Cheeto is a chip, but that's, that would, that's, that's for another, <laughs> that's that's for, for another that's for your That's a different podcast. I'll have yeah. you on when we talk about that. Yeah. Uh, so you're in your second season over there, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we're in our second season. Season one was, uh, we treated it kind of like our origin story. Uh-huh. So we spent a little bit of time uh, talking about ourselves, uh, what things we're into, what our influences are, and then um, season two has been a lot more of a deep dive into particular subjects. So we've mm-hmm. talked about mental health. Uh, we've talked about tattoos, um, which strangely, strangely, at least in our world, relates to mental health. Hmm. Uh, my co-host is very, very, very anxious about permanence, things that are permanent. And so the idea of getting a tattoo to him is very terrifying, but something that he also wants to do. So, yeah, we, we're in season two. Um, our episodes come out... Every other Wednesday, um, we are on Stitcher, uh, we are on Google Play, and we're on iTunes. Um, you can search for According to the Technical Rules. Um, we also have a Facebook page, and I have a Twitter that I barely look at. So The Snapchat and an Instagram. Yeah, we have a Snapchat, we have an Instagram, we have all kinds of stuff, but we don't use the majority of it. So find us on Facebook, uh, or just search for us on iTunes. And uh, it's, you know, it's, a good, it's a little bit of a longer form podcast. So a little bit unlike this one in that it's a broader focus and we spend a lot more time just BSing. Very cool. Um, but yeah, it's good. Sounds good. Well, uh, we definitely wanted to get you on just because you're uh, you're local. You're one of our uh, good friends and uh, played de- together in D and D for uh, quite a few years. Oh yeah, it's been a long time. But uh, also, yeah, you're definitely. kind of interesting in that. You have quite a large group that you DM for. Yeah. My uh, my main group, I think, if everybody was at the table, I think we would have twelve people. Wow, um, that hasn't happened yet. I'm I'm terrified of the day that it does happen. A typical session is usually eight eight or nine people. 
Um, so we it started out as a group. Um, actually, my podcast co-host wanted to learn how to play. Uh, and so we kind of got a group together. And then he uh, played once, two sessions, and then quit. Yeah. Uh, but I got together the regular characters from our area, and there's a bunch. I mean, I think there was the majority of them were new people. Yeah, yeah. At the time. You are, might I say, like... A D and D evangelist. I try, like a traveling preacher. Yeah, in a sense. Um, I try. Yeah, so that's. I try to. It, it, it is fun to get people into the game. Um, this may be a sidetrack, but uh, one of my favorite experiences as a dungeon master is uh, introducing new people to the game and sort of seeing, like, if, if somebody that reads lots of fantasy or somebody that reads lots of sci-fi or somebody that likes to play strategy games. When they discover Dungeons and Dragons and realize the lack of limitations mm-hmm. and realize just the broad, the wide open, the ability to do anything you want. Somebody, if you take somebody that, that has only played Skyrim and thinks that Skyrim is, is the height of the RPG genre, and then you tell them, well, you can play Skyrim except you can literally do whatever you want, uh, that's, a big, that's a big deal. So it's really fun to play with people. I, I, I've got to agree with that because I've got... The majority of my friends that I played with um, when I when I was running my group up in the KC area and then the the game I'm getting started now, the majority of my players are relatively new to the idea of D&D. They've heard of it. I mean, I feel like at this point almost everybody's heard of D&D, but they've never had a chance to play with a group. Yeah. And to I, I love it when they – a barrage of questions. Yeah. I, I, because to see their reaction to – Oh yeah, that's fine. Do whatever you want. That, right. That's great. And they're like the level of excitement there you don't get with people who've been playing. I feel like for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the other reason I like it is because because they don't know all the rules, they're more willing to ask to do right things that aren't necessarily discussed in the book. Right. And they're more willing to experiment with stuff. And I really like that, especially in the the current edition where the the rules are a lot more lax. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it when they come up with new things that they want to try or new ways to use spells and stuff that maybe you, you haven't seen yet. Yeah, like that transition from, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, what are all these numbers on the page, to all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I had a player, uh, a, a young lady, I think she was 16 or 17 when she started with us. Uh, first session she played in, she didn't, I mean, she was scared to death, she didn't want to do anything. She had a wizard. She was playing a wizard, and I gave her a summon monster or something, mm. and so she decided to summon a pony in the air above a group of monsters, and it fell down, and you know, and I allowed it to do damage to them. And yeah. like that moment, the look in her eye at that moment was really was very satisfying. Yeah, I, um, the, the moment I had uh, was the last campaign I ran. I was running uh, the Way of the Wicked, which is a Pathfinder campaign, but I had. Uh, Homebrewed a lot of stuff, changed it up to work with 5th edition. Yeah. And I had a player that wanted to use his uh, Frostbolt or whatever the cantrip is that does cold damage. He wanted to use that to try and weaken the Iron Bars because you start off in this prison. Mm-hmm. And through a series of very unfortunate roles, they pretty much lost any way that the game had created to allow them to escape. Okay. Uh, so they were all going to be killed in like two days and they had no more ways to get out. He's like, Hey, can I use this to like freeze the bars, make them like more brittle and then try and like break out. Uh, so they used that to get the, uh, the ogre and stuff out of the, the nearby cell. And, and with that, they were able to get out. And that's not really something that's, a thing. Yeah, it's not wrong. The spell doesn't do that, and and that's probably not something I would normally allow, but 
Uh, it was kind of an older prison. It hadn't been upkept very well. I was like, you know what? I appreciate you trying to come up with a solution for yeah. this. Like, I love it. So that's part of. The, I mean, that's part of the fun. So anyway, this group is enormous because we started with our friends, and then they had people that they wanted to invite, and then those people had children that they wanted to invite. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love you it. You can't I, say no. No, and I wouldn't want to. Right. I absolutely love it. The group is almost too much, but I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't want to get rid of a single person from that group. How much at, at this point, I'll go ahead and say I am a player in this game, but uh, interested in hearing your DM insight, how much Dungeons & Dragons do you think you're actually playing when you get into a group that size, and how much is it just <laughs> getting together with friends and doing an right. improv story? Yeah. Uh, that is a really good question. I would say in that group, you can probably tell me what you think about it. I would say, well, I mean, everything you're doing is Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Um, but I would say probably 25% is Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but that may be the case, uh, for the majority of my games. Mm. I'm not sure. I, my style has changed a lot in the, in the last couple of years as a dungeon master. Um, I'm running, I just started a campaign with, with, um, all new players. One player has played just a little bit, but almost Mm. all new players. And the last session we had one combat Mm. and they spent almost the rest of the session just running back and forth trying to, and it did, no one seemed bored. We all enjoyed it, but like just gathering information, interacting with NPCs, um, looking for, you know, looking for clues. And I don't know if maybe that's something to do with larger groups um, yeah. or, or or what. But I've had, I had a similar experience where uh, most groups I played with, I mean, the combat is the main thing they enjoy. Sure. Uh, but when I was running with uh, my larger group, my group I ran in KC, we had like six, six seven people uh, wanting to play. And some of the best sessions I thought were the ones that had no combat. Yeah. And I feel like if you ask them, they'd agree because they had so many things that they were trying to manipulate behind the scenes and a lot of a lot cooler role play characters where they felt they had a actual agency in the world instead of just yeah. rolling dice. You know, I think um, one of the D&D communities on Facebook just put out a poll that they took of all Dungeon Masters and players. And interestingly enough, I think that most of the poll was pretty evident i think just you can kind of look around the community and say oh yeah this is a thing but um one of the things that i found really interesting was that character interaction npc interaction and role play um was considered by the vast majority of players to be far more important than the combat and strategies yeah i found that to be really interesting because um i don't think that's always comes across on every table, but but it seems to be the thing that people are craving is the more story element, which you're still getting with your larger games. It has to be done right. And in a large group, it's more apparent when it isn't done right. Uh-huh. If this is my opinion, in fact, I'll, I'll put a... This is reckless speculation on my part. <laughs> in, my, in my very own opinion, I think that uh, if you treat NPC interaction as an info dump... People will not get into it. People won't be interested. But if you treat it as a form, this isn't. This is going to sound worse than I mean. But if you treat it as a as a form of combat, then people will be interested in it. And that is to say, you have to spend the time to give your NPCs enough character so that the players don't just get what they want as soon as they start. Right. There's you know the verbal joust sort of thing right. going on where you're trying right. to 
to weed information out of them and, and tell your half-truths and right. stuff like that. Well, they should be expected to ask the right questions. If, exactly. Yeah. yeah. If the, last... the FCC is going to give you the information regardless of what you say, yeah. the players will pick up on that. Yeah, they do. The last, the last camp, this this last campaign I was talking about, we had a character who, a, a guy who decided that he was going to get the bartender drunk in his own establishment to get some information out of him. Yeah, and that was a, I mean, that was as much like a social combat as it was just. I mean, we played out, we, we we played out the whole scene. I don't think I think I I think he rolled dice once. Yeah, um, but it was it was more of a combat than anything else. So when you make when you make these stories and and you have these larger groups, how do you how do you incorporate you know nine characters into a story without leaving people behind and letting the main people kind of run on ahead? Um, how do you incorporate those players who are quieter and yeah yeah that's who, essentially who have less things to say? Ask. How do you that's a good question. get everyone in the spotlight so they feel like they're part of? The I game? think you have to do. I think you have to tag it from multiple angles. I don't think any one technique is going to be enough. Um, it helps to play with a good group. And a group that is social, socially aware enough that the ones who do tend to take control are 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 aware enough to back off when when they're doing it too much. Um, he's, he's avoiding eye contact. I'm not talking to Zach. <laughs> Zach is one of the people that likes to. I, I don't know. Zach likes to make interesting choices, and I don't it's know. always good. You're a benefit to have at the table because well, you move things along. We, I, I think I'm the one of maybe a cu- only a couple of the players that have played with any regularity. Yep. And that's a great position to be in, but it's also a very difficult one. Yeah. Um, so I, I think Sam does a pretty good job of making sure that me and the couple others who are comfortable don't don't run away with the game. Yeah. 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 So. so what you have to do, the things that you really have to do is um, when you're prepping, make sure that you tr- know your players well enough to incorporate something of interest to all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have one player who's just obsessed with cats, and so if I put if there's a cat or a kitten or a cat man or something, she'll probably get into it. Um, I have characters who just I mean I have there's there's one guy I have to put a door in every dungeon so that he can kick it down. Mm. It, 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 honestly, I mean yeah. it feels a little manipulative, but as a dungeon master, you have to think about those things. Yeah. Um, so you know, making something for every person to be into. If you know that you have a player who is super into some style of some genre of fiction. And you incorporate the things from that genre. They are go- that that's a really quick shortcut to engagement. Hmm. So in your prep, make sure that you're ready, uh, ready for all your players. I kind of have a question when it comes to uh, combat and things specifically, just because with that many people yep. and the action economy is is so <laughs> yeah. skewed. How do you plan for encounters? And then my second question is, how often do you bother rolling dice in that? Because with fifth edition, they provide a static damage number right. as far as like the, the given average and do you do you utilize that or do you go ahead and just I do roll, roll I do roll dice. But I try really hard in prep to be ready for mass combats. So multiple smaller characters generally I found works better than one big guy. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you have one big guy, everybody is just it's just nine players taking an attack against the same guy. And he either gets nuked or everybody misses and everybody feels like they're wasting their time. I have from time to time play uh, ran larger characters, either with some people on the side, environmental damage, or with multiple attacks, um, which f- feels a little unfair sometimes if you're playing a really low level campaign and your and your your whatever boss monster has multiple attacks. Um, but it helps with with bigger groups to have more smaller. Uh, low damage, low hit point creatures, 
and then even bring in waves later so that you're in one combat but you're kind of splitting you're splitting up a little bit so people have like so you can sit the the players will usually like send one team to go after the healer and then send the other team to do something else so if they have if they feel like they're part of a smaller group within the whole um, that helps also, the switch to fifth edition has worked really well because playing large combats in Pathfinder is is just would we we'd have one combat and I, the session I would be over. Started with Pathfinder and it it would be obnoxious with all the abilities for well to use this you have to minus this and yeah. then you get plus this and it takes so much longer to get through stuff and it, it does feel like you have a little bit more control over your choices yeah but it, it does also slow things down significantly i can't when, imagine doing that with a larger group when i was considering the move it was either going to be one of the like retro clones mm. you guys read in the, the osr yeah yeah okay so there's like the osr is like a movement mostly on google plus to like they call it the old school renaissance, and it's like mostly retro clones of like first edition, second edition, yeah. um, and a lot of those are available. And I thought about doing one of those, but then I decided like for as much content as available for fifth edition, it kind of seemed silly to go to one that may not have as much support and may not have as much stuff built for it. Um, yeah, that's one of the main reasons that, and the ease of making characters was the reason we moved to fifth. Well, and then the other thing is that you know you're introducing this game to a lot of new players, right? And if they, if you do find that some of these players want to become invested, yeah, let them be invested in something that has that community and right. that resource. Uh, not that these other, I mean, I, I'm fascinated with AD and D and the clones and all those things as well. And I mean, that would be super exciting to get another game going that way. But you want something that, if a player finds that they love it they can find more elsewhere. Right. And that it isn't tied to only two nights a month can I access this information. And, and feel like even more important than that is when new players get excited about it, they can easily get their friends excited about it. Yeah. So they, they, they have more people that they can share this with because, uh, like, I love Pathfinder. Um, I would love to get back into a, a 3.5 or a Pathfinder game or something just because I do like the kind of wider variety of options mm-hmm. you have available. But it's so much easier to get friends and new people into fifth because they make it so much easier to get started with a character and to just play the game. Yeah. Um, so what? What? Obviously, you're talking to new players all the time. You're uh, you're introducing them to the game. How do you introduce them to the game, and how do you introduce them to that concept of character creation? What's your kind of strategy for? Um. Oh man. Usually, I make the character for them. Um, there are a few times where there'll be somebody who's really into the idea of Dungeons and Dragons, maybe even has done research, um, but just hasn't found the group or hasn't found the person to play with. And they'll, we'll, I'll sit down with them and help them make a character or they'll make a character. But a lot of times what I do is if I'm starting, especially if I'm starting a group with more new players than old players, I'll just make a whole stack. Sweet. Make a stack of characters, um, and say like, do you want to be Legolas? Do you want to be, you know, anybody, whoever, from whatever yeah, Conan fiction? Yeah. yeah, do you want to be Conan, whatever you want to be, uh, this is who you are. And generally, people that are interested in D&D have a good enough idea of, like, I want to be a wizard, I want to be a barbarian, I want to be a fighter, I want to be a cleric, I want to be a healer, or whatever. Yeah. Um, that, I can kinda, that I can kind of mold that character into something that they want to do, um, but have that ready. Cool. And then, do you... Do you then do you back off on some of the rules initially, or yep. do you do you dive have them dive in whole hog? Nope, I back off on the rules. I, in fact, my default is to back off on the rules anyway. <laughs> uh, I don't do well with I don't do well with rules lawyers. Um, 
my 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 tendency is to say, you know what, as long as it keeps the game running and and everybody's happy, let's just do it. Um, but with new players, I generally like I'll hand them a d twenty and I'll say, you know, if I ask you a question, you should probably just roll this. So just. For the audience, uh, just so they understand that this isn't something that you just started two months ago. You're, you're speaking from a voice of experience. How long has this game, this one game, been running with the Niner? Oh, people? sure. The, that's, that's, we, we're over a year now. Over a year? We're yeah, close yeah. to a year and a half. I think, I think we've yeah. done 18 months, yeah. And it's, it's every, every other week. Yeah. Almost. Awesome. Had, last week I had to cancel, last month I had to cancel, but <laughs> every other week we've been going. So yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have a little bit of experience with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. As far as, um, managing the large table it's mostly just just hang on tight and hope you can get through it um my player the players in that group are really good about the majority of them like they don't have their phones out when they're not playing anything like that they're all pretty engaged in the story which is nice yeah um but even even then i mean to just to manage the table sometimes i have to just call on people and just say hey well well, what do you think about what's going on and i try to do that i mean it's that's probably from being a teacher but, you know, you can read the room pretty well and tell who's engaged and who's not. And so, you know, just a little push just to help them get back into it. And, and, and um, you know, they want to be there. You know sure. that they want to be there. So give them an opening and most people will take it. Yeah. I, I, that was kind of a question I was going to have is is keeping people engaged because oftentimes, especially if you have, and I know this one's in person, but especially with online games, you'll find people browsing the internet checking sure. their phones whatever right. um but i mean that pretty much answered it and it, yeah. I, and and i do think it's important that you have the right group i mean if your if your table isn't invested at some point you got to have a conversation with them and just are you actually wanting to be here but it, giving them opportunities is important. the group that i played with in college the and i was a player i didn't dm that for that group we had one guy who would was Maybe I shouldn't tell this story. I don't know. <laughs> what is your podcast rated? Oh, uh, you can do whatever. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, we had one guy who looked at porn while he was playing, uh, who would get bored and like look at like uh, like anime, like like Japanese dirty pictures. And then we had one guy who would abuse prescription medication while he played, and sometimes he would like take Ambien and just space out, and we would have to like put the dice in his hand and then turn it over. <laughs> so, you know, I, th- th- there's a spectrum of people who are engaged versus not engaged. Um <laughs> But I, I mean, when you're doing your prep, I, and and again, this is just it's just this is just my approach to it. But do, don't be afraid to just throw wacky nonsense give into her, your give games. Give them a cat to pet and a door. Give to them kick something down. to play it with, man. I mean, it, it, the, as a dungeon master, I understand the tendency as a DM to be like, "This is a serious campaign. Yep. I my story must be told." Yep. Your players are never going to off on. But who cares? They don't care about your story, man. They want to get together. They want to roll dice. They want to kill some stuff. They want to have fun. So just throw in the goofy stuff. Don't save it. Don't save. Listen to me, podcast audience. Don't save the good stuff. Just get it out there because that goofy nonsense is what's going. The characters are going to get. The players are going to get into. They're going to get engaged with, and then they're going to chase it, and they're going to want to. They're going to want to follow that stuff, and you're going to get so much more inspiration and ideas from your players. And the, the ideas that they come up with, and then you're ever going to get from reading a book or sitting by yourself 
typing. One of the cool things that Sam does in his games that I, I at least find to be fascinating is he has locked a few of the classes and behind adventure walls. Yeah. And there's not a session that goes by that there's not a player at least at the table that's like, okay, where do we need to go so that I can become a this? Right. And that's maybe a tricky way, but it is a way that you're getting the player invested in the world yeah. and getting them to look around and say, okay, I'm done in the city because the city doesn't have what I'm looking for. Where can I go? And it, that's that's always exciting to me because even though for them maybe it's just a I want to play this class and that sounds cool, in game it's so much more flavorful to have their character just itching to get out of town and all that. Anyhow, that's and it's hard cool. to I mean it's hard to uh, because again I mean just like I was saying about you're a dungeon master you've made the whole map you know what's everywhere. You know, you know the story, you know the history of this world, but nobody, your players don't really care about it. But if, if they know that that's where barbarians are, then all of a sudden those barbarian lands are more interesting. That, yeah. that stuff, that place that you've made up is more interesting because that, that ties them to that area. I have a player that really wants to play a halfling. And so, like, where are the halflings at? We're going to go and get the halflings. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, is there anything that you miss or that you feel you've lost moving to the bigger groups uh, that that you would kind of forewarn a dungeon master who's yes. looking on taking on a few more people. Hey, you know, just be prepared. You're going to miss out. The, the the first thing that comes to mind is um, if you, you you can't play a campaign that needs regular players. Yeah. With that many people, there's always going to be somebody that's going to have to miss. Um, and different times of the year, different people have to miss. So if, if you're playing a campaign that's really story-focused or really focused on one particular character, that's going to be really hard to do. Um, you know, I do miss getting through content, um, because we have just spent a lot of time. The sessions are packed. I think the sessions are interesting. People enjoy them, but we, we don't move that fast. Yeah. You know, we have to, everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an idea. And, uh, and the other thing that comes from that is it, we end up, I think the, the party isn't always as cohesive as it could be. Yeah. And so we end up having people who go like, well, so, so let's say somebody's gone one session. Everybody goes, hey, let's go back to this city. And they come back and they're like, well, but where? why are we here? What are we doing here? Um, <laughs> so having that many players, there's a lot less focus. Uh, kind of along that line, how do you resolve conflicts in a larger group like that? Especially when, I mean, you have so many different opinions on what should be done. Um, or, or have you really had to run into We haven't that had that group? many. My tendency is to just back off and let the players sort it out. Um, I don't know. Have we had any conflict in that campaign? I, I think tag? that you'll probably see it more as people become more experienced. Yeah. Because I think right now, people like following an idea. Sure. They want they want some to to some extent to have an answer that they can go forward with. I think that once you know maybe when we get a little bit farther in, when people each have an idea and they know what's possible, you yeah. might see more of that. But no, right now I think um, we've got a really good group that's that's inquisitive but also agreeable. I ran an, on, an, an online campaign that had, uh, this was entirely play-by-post, so we played it on a blog. So I would make up, like every week I would make a blog post about what was going on, and then, then the people would ask questions, and we'd resolve it in the comments. Um, hmm. You could probably Google that. It's uh, Chronicles of Ashmont, so if you could find it, check it out. Is that A-S-H-M-O-N-T? yeah. cool. It's pretty old, so, I, so I, I'm embarrassed <laughs> about some of the bad DMing I did in that, but we had a little bit of conflict in that, in that. Um, just because there were people who had a lot stronger ideas about what should be happening 
um, or what their characters should do and stuff. And so in character conflict, I generally just set as a rule no 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 PvP, no player versus player conflict in character. Out of character, I, I do try I do try to be pretty out of character, it's fine if they slug each other. Right. No, out of character, I try to be really on top of it. I, I try not to let people go. I mean, if somebody starts sniping at somebody else, I'll just ask them in person, like, hey, listen, you know, if there's a problem, let's deal. Then I've had that a little bit. I mean, you know, you hang out with people and that many personalities and stuff, it happens. But in character, I let it go. Out of character, uh, up to an, up to PvP. Out of character, I try to stop it quick. Gotcha. Um, you know, because that, that gets out of hand, and then it tur- and then it goes into the game where somebody's being passive-aggressive about stuff, and it's <laughs> too much trouble, man. <laughs> Anything else uh, as far as things that you would warn uh, potential DMs about? Um, things that I would warn potential DMs about, specifically about having a large group. Well, or general, either way is fine with me. Oh, in general? No, I can't do that. You don't have that much. You guys don't have that yeah, much yeah. time. Uh, specifically about having a large group, I would say simplify things, um, get the fun stuff out there quick because you aren't going to have you aren't going to have as much time. You know, roll with the punches. Let the rules be secondary to you know follow rule zero. If you guys have heard of rule zero, it's have fun first. Yeah, um, the rule of cool kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah. Just simplify things. Let things let things happen. Stay out of the damn books. Just, just, just roll with it. I mean, ask your players to have their spells ready, but other than that, just roll with it. Because if you, if you're looking at your book after every single person's action, you're never going to get anywhere. This statement uh, is not something that uh, we endorse here as a I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> branded property. Yeah, um, we love the books. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, we know what you're saying there. Yeah, definitely. We no, want to keep. Mean, well, and there's often times where maybe you do care about the rule, but when you're in the middle of a game, especially a large game, you just got to make a call, go with it, and you can make up an excuse for well why it worked that one time. Yeah, the the DMG, the, the 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 almighty DMG even says that. Yeah, uh, like, if, uh, if there's a rules question, says, write it down, uh, look it up later. Come yeah. back to the party. Yeah. yeah. And and there's sometimes I will intentionally bend the rules just because a player has a really fun thing that they want to do. So I don't I try not to make it obvious that I'm bending the rules for them, but I'll I'll give them multiple attempts at something that they should not otherwise have because it, it's fun to see it happen and it's a cool moment for but them. So. I wanna I wanna make it clear that the official my official stance is uh, to hell with the books. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else we want to talk about as far as large groups go, as far as any of that goes, before we move on to another segment? I'm curious. Uh, what is your? What are you guys' as, as a dungeon master and as a player, what is your perfect group size? So for me personally, and this is going to be incredibly biased because this is the average group size I play with, but I like six. Uh, six people, I don't feel like is too much if everyone is present, including a, the, including the including the DM. No, and not including the DM. Okay. So you'll you'll have seven people at the table, six players. Um, but that way, it's not too much if everyone's present. Um, and then if a couple people have to miss, even if half your group has to miss, you can still run content. Sure. So I I, I really like six. I could probably do up to eight and be happy. Other than that, that's brave. Uh, I don't know if I would want to do past that. I, I I could if I let go of some of the rules, but I like the rules so in so much as I like to 
power game. So this is me transitioning over to a player. Right. I like to manipulate the rules as much as I can to my advantage sometimes. And then other times I'll make a character that I know is trash just because I think the concept is fun. Sure. But there are times where I want to try something specific. And if the DM is ignoring the rules on stuff, I'm like, well, why did I bother? So... It depends. Um, a smaller group, you can you don't have to worry about that as much. Yeah. Um, and the only thing I would add, because I think I'm right along Micah's line, is uh, I, I do like the four to six, I think, is a good player base. Um, if it gets more than six, then my tendency is to start asking, would you guys be interested in playing two games sure. and splitting this up? Because uh, I don't have the time for that, man. Well, and, and that's that's the trade-off, I think. Um, and, and I think that... Your game is a special case where we've had a lot of fun. And I think that the other important thing to note with your game is that most of these people knew each other coming into the game. This isn't a group of nine strangers. This is a group that was getting together on a semi-regular basis before D&D. There there are a lot of other good systems if you're looking to do a a large group with uh, people you don't know. um, West Marches, stuff like that. But if you're looking to get a group of friends together... Yeah, I think that works. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I think I think the four to five. four to six, four yeah. to six. Yeah, I uh, my sweet spot as a dungeon master is actually probably five. Yeah, maybe six. Um, I've just had the best luck with like groups of five people. If I'm a player, I think it's like maybe three players. <laughs> I'm not joking. I really including the dungeon master. Well, you want? Well, you know. we've had so much fun though. I think you were in some of these games. Where it really was just like three or four people, and yeah. we played. Uh, we played with uh, our mutual friend Brent. Uh, this like Borderlands. I remember there were pyramids. We mm. had a gorilla suit at one point. Yeah, do you remember that? Were you the, in that campaign? Those were the best of times. That was a really good campaign, and there were like three or four players. Yeah, and everybody was just we we played Pathfinder, so we were all overpowered, and we were all basically just solo machines anyway. Yeah, and. You know, there was a deep... We had a really deep story. We had a lot of good NPC interaction. Like, And you lose a lot of that with more... Yeah, people. like three or four people. Like those that, that, that Penny Arcade game. Yeah. That's what? Four people? Yeah. Four players? Yeah. Like that, as a player, that's what I want. And then and maybe that's because I think, like, this is why, the reason why I Dungeon Master... Half the reason why I Dungeon Master is because I want to be in charge and I want to be in control yeah. and I want to be... Like, I want to be on display. So having three or four people as a player is nice because then you get to do a lot. Well, and what you were saying earlier is that um, you kind of have to let go of a lot of that story because you, because as, as a DM, because you have people dropping in and out and you can't have that meaningful episode to episode, session to session, this character, this player is doing this in this order, but with four people, pretty much if you're going to run a four-player campaign, you have they all have to show up. Yeah, and they all have to show up consistently. And when you have that sort of dedication, they're come to the table ready. They they know their characters intimately. They know each other's characters intimately. Right. Um, and that's that is uh, maybe that is something else that you're losing with the higher group is this very deep, in a sense, connection between the characters and the players playing the characters. That with nine, you just you won't have in yeah. its entirely. Yeah. And that's the thing is, I and I just realized part of that is probably just a reaction to the fact that I haven't played in a game like that for a long time. Because <laughs> the majority of my friends now are we're we're married, we have kids, oh, yeah. you know, we're busy, we're running around, we don't live in the same town anymore. So that time when I could play in college, where we could play like where they were like we could have four or five hours at a time to go play D anD D, that doesn't happen. <laughs> that doesn't happen that often anymore. So I kind of miss that. Absolutely, absolutely, very cool. You guys ready to move on? Yeah. 
All right. So the next session, uh, the next section that we're going to get into is a little more on the fun, ridiculous side of things. We're talking about um, each other's top five low-level monsters, and I'm not sure. <laughs> we're going to see how much okay. we stick to the top five format, and uh, we're trying to keep it at CR1 or lower. We might just kind of throw monsters out there that we enjoy. Um, uh, some of us might have a little bit of structure. Some of us might just uh, say, hey, I like this. Um, but, uh, Sam, why don't you start us off? These are just uh, kind of the inspiration for this is that, as you said earlier, the game, the campaign that you're running is a lower-level campaign, and right. you have to, session after session after session, come up with interesting creatures and monsters and NPCs to throw at party members that are maybe still level 3 or level 2 or even level 1. Um, so when you have to keep things fresh, what are some monsters that you like to throw in there? I'm right now turning through the uh, monster menu. Oh, you're using a book? Great. Awesome. Because I want to... Oh, right. Yeah. You're, you're I'll throw it out. No. <laughs> the truth is a lot of the stuff that I make is uh, is homebrew stuff. Don't tell my players that because then they're going to be mad that I'm they, they can't look in the book and look it up. <laughs> Uh, the first one I like, like one of the monsters that I throw against almost every single group is the Vargwheel. V-A-R-G-U-I-L-L-E. Yeah, the, the floating head monster. And I haven't, I don't think I've used it in 5th edition, which is why I was flipping through the book to see if anything has changed. But I really like it, and part of that's because I play with new groups. Uh, it really freaks people out. If you yeah. describe it right, uh, this like silent, like floating head, it, you always use it in the dark. Yeah. Uh, people catch a glimpse of it. You know, they try to find it. They can't figure out what it is. Some people who've played a lot think it might be a beholder, which really freaks them out. Like, don't don't, don't describe it too well. Um, and then this thing, like, sweeps out and tries to drain their life or tries to, you know, mess them up. It's good. It, it's really creepy. and It, like, bites them. And if they, it, at least in past editions, and I, I'd have to refresh myself on it in the fifth edition as well. But, like, if it bites them and they stay, they, they fail enough saves, like, right. their head... Becomes a vargoil right. itself. Their ears, it? their ears get bigger, uh, and this is over multiple days. Yeah, it's, their it's not ears a short get period. bigger. They lose all their hair, and then eventually the body dies, and their head detaches, and they become one of these. Things. Yeah, and I think they have like bat wings or something. Uh-huh. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, that's what their ears are. Yeah, yeah, that's always a super fun. I like playing that one. I, I just like it for the creep factor, and also for the like, what is this thing? Factor. Yeah, uh, one of the creatures that I really like uh, that we used, we kind of ignored a rule that made it a whole lot better um it may have brought it up quite a bit in cr too but um magmen that's a uh, monster manual page 212 i think um there are these little lava creatures that yep. are tiny size they look like small children but more impish um the thing that makes them cool in fifth edition and that we had a lot of fun with recently was um they have an ability called death burst which when they die, they explode and deal damage to the creatures around them. And it's not a save damage. It's just you roll dice and you deal damage. Oh, wow. And uh, what we did was we removed, accidentally, their fire immunity. Oh. So you get about 12 of them in a room with a higher level party. And you start a chain reaction. And it can get really scary even for if these are ninth level players. with These are CR one half. Right. If, if six of them explode at once... We had a character drop half their hit points in one round. Sure. To this half-CR creature. So, it's just, if you drop that rule, and like I said, that might bump it up at least to the CR1, but if you if you drop that one rule, it turns a character that nobody really cares about, a monster that they think they can just beat the crap out of, into something that's actually fascinating. And even if you just threw a low-level party at 
one or two or three of those, you're still going to get that chain reaction thing, which I think can be a fun surprise. Because I was part of that game, and any one of us, like, on an average roll would be, like, one-shotting these little dudes. We did not think they were going to be a, a problem. And they all the other scary thing they did was they just set you on fire. There's no, there's no save to put it out. You have to spend a turn... Stop dropping extinguishing roll. the yep. fire. So right. it's just another automatic D six every turn that you are just on fire. Right. Um, so they were they were pretty cool. Um, so I cheated on mine a little bit. I did not pick a single monster. I felt all of these felt fell within kind of the same thing. And I also want to preface this with: do not use this intending to kill your characters this way because they will hate you for it. But uh, I really like the fungi and the standard monster manual. These are like underdark fungus things um, because you don't expect uh, as terrible of things to happen out of fungus um, as these do. Uh, And it is also a great example of why the underdark is terrifying. That's cool. So the the worst one in particular is the gas spore because uh, not only does it have a, a... 20 foot radius so yeah. you, it's got 40 feet of explosion on this thing it's a it's a half cr uh with a dc 15 constitution save which is not a primary thing for anyone and then there's once they fail the save they're poisoned and they're not they don't necessarily know what is coming out of that but you roll a die and in that many days they die and when they die more fungus sprouts from their body. And so unless they have someone cast, like, remove diseases or something on them, right. they will die in that many days. And for the first half of that, they don't know anything's wrong. <laughs> they just took damage. And then they get sick. That's cool. And then after a few more days, they die. This is why I say don't, don't intend to kill your players with this, because if they die... Ten days after they ran into this mushroom for no reason, they just... You don't wake up in the morning. <laughs> they will hate you. <laughs> uh, but I think it is beautiful uh the shrieker is another one i really like uh where it 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 does nothing but scream if you get too close to it um lurks things uh and then the last one uh it's it just does uh, a d8 damage it can it can smack you if you're walking through it but i really like that the the fungus in the underdark yeah just just something you would never pay attention to otherwise uh can definitely kill you Anything else, Sam? As far as uh, any other monsters you really? Oh, like? I'm really boring though. I like I like I like goblins a lot. Yeah. Um, I really loved what Pathfinder did with goblins. That they are just a bunch of little little child sized maniacs. Yeah. That just want to mess stuff up. They're just so chaotic and they're so funny. Like they're so fun to play. Yeah. Um. So that's the the goblins. You know, if you play them with swarm tactics, you give them a good. Like, in your campaign, if you give the goblins a good culture and a good sort of, like, I, my, my goblins mostly in most of my campaigns end up being, like, kind of scrappers. Yeah. Like, they're the ones that go out and, like, live in the live in the junkyards and stuff of the world and, like, take stuff out of it and then and then build it into other things. Um, I really like goblins just as a centerpiece of the low-level part of the campaign because they're just always there. They're never a problem if there's just one of them. Yeah. But if there's more of them and if they get the jump on you, they can really they can really mess you up. Yeah, so but but I like goblins less for the again, this is me, less for the combat statistics than just for their like just sort of whole funny, goofy, kooky, wild, chaotic, yeah. light things on fire, <laughs> you know, big mouth little baby people. That's why I like goblins. That's cool. I actually uh 
that works for a lot of the same reasons yeah. as far as the classic monster goes uh, in one of my honorable mentions. But as I was building this list, I noticed that a lot of the monsters that I like, I like because they they do something interesting. And I think that uh, they're not... It's so typical of a lot of those lower-level creatures that they just have a weapon and they hit you with it, or they have a claw and they slash at you, or, you yeah. know, whatever. And I, I found that I really am drawn to the creatures that start to introduce some of those unique properties. And so uh, i probably skip a few here, but I really like harpies because they have that great luring song, which you can use to great effect um, by pulling your characters, pulling your caster maybe into a dangerous predicament or something like that. There's just different things that make your lower-level party, who often contains new players, start to think about what's my role, but then also thinking outside their role and saying, okay, there's going to be different situations that come up and start to give them some of the, uh, some of that real world, I'm using air quotes, uh, experience, um, as a character. Right. Um, S- giant spiders are another great one. I'll just oh, throw that one out right now. Yeah. Because I love giant spiders. Anything that, that the party can, and again, I'm speaking a lot of new player concept here, but like, Anything that they can visualize yeah. Yeah. early on. Right. You know, you throw something and, and, and I... Well, and everybody hates spiders. Yeah, exactly. Everybody hates spiders, but not everybody knows about magmen or, or you know, some of those weirder fungi. It's hard sometimes for a player to grasp, okay, what exactly is the threat here? Right. Throw a giant spider and everybody knows yeah. what's going down. And that's that's always... And, I mean, it, it does have some, some cool stuff, some poison and some webbing and things like that, too, but... Well, yeah, and you have an option there for to set up to make a good set piece. Yeah, spiders. Spiders are just spiders. Everybody's fought a giant spider, not in real life, but in the <laughs> game. But if you do it right as a dungeon master, if you set it up to where you know either there's somebody that's wrapped up that's still alive, or you know the whole room is full of webs, or you put difficult right. terrain in there, slides down or the some, yeah, or them. something, or something, uh, you know, catches one character. And on and on and on. I'm always I'm always hiding uh, like a like a a really richly appointed adventurer in the spider web somewhere. And if my players don't burn them down or search it, they never find that good stuff. Right. Because oh yeah, spiders have a lot of good options. Yeah, oh, that's a good one, Zach. I like, I like that one. And then and then my number two. I'll go ahead and throw another one, and I'll let Mike do a couple or whoever. Uh, my number two is Blink Dogs. Yes. Which at CR one quarter. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. Is not does not seem right. They're in the very back of the book if you're looking for them. They're no, actually I'm not. in the. I'm the, looking like, for my next one. They're in the, <laughs> the the set of monsters in the back of the book that are like these shouldn't matter sort of monsters, um, but their ability to teleport in, bite you, and then run away, or better yet, run up, bite you, and then teleport out without you having to attack them. There's just some really cool stuff that you can do there. You can drop a couple blink dogs on a level one party and, you know, make them guard dogs for, for a low level boss or something like that. Um, and players time after time will say, Oh, these are just dogs. And then the moment that they teleport and you're like, Oh my gosh, what is this? Do your blink dogs not look different? Uh, I typically I try to keep them looking basically the same. They're really? just a hound. Sure. Wow, in the game we mean. played, we only caught a glimpse. We saw like yeah, a tail them or something, yeah, and like the shadows or whatever. Or uh, you know, unless a player's really focusing. But typically, if you're like, you see something that looks like a dog and he's on a leash, they're like, oh, okay, it's a dog. Anytime he says it looks like this, it's not that, right? Uh, 
That may be true. <laughs> Anytime he starts something with it looks like this, I'm like, oh no. That we, sounds like him. What is this? What is this we're about to deal with? My uh, move my move on that is to just give as little amount of information as I possibly can. Yeah. So uh one I liked because it's from Volo's guide where they kind of add additional flavor and stuff to uh some of your more classic uh, D&D monsters. Oh, sure. Is the orc nurtured one of your truce, and I may be mispronouncing that. I apologize. But these guys have basically been touched with this super virulent plague. They're, they accept that their life is pretty much over, and they will willingly give their life to their their god of death and disease. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of used as suicide bombers. Um, they're kind of cool as a an addition to a pack. But these guys are like a half-CR creature that run in there, and when they die, they explode in this big burst of, of poison, and, and it's easily enough to drop, I mean, a, a lower-level party if they're not expecting that. Goodness. And what I like even more is that if they know they can, if they kill it and they'll explode, these guys can also just choose to explode. So they may not even swing at you with a weapon. They may just run up and and... and blow up on you because that is now their purpose in life is to spread disease for their god. Um, that I'm is very a, devious. Yeah, I'm seeing a trend here. That's very awful. In that you like to jack my, your players. Exactly. Yeah, like, like, I, I like to make like my to players, your players lives. I, I want them to be scared that everything has something terrible that it's going to do to them. I actually left... Because it is! I, I left Dark Mantles <laughs> off of this list even though I've run them frequently uh, because I love them. They, they they spread darkness from themselves so they basically always have advantage. They attach themselves to your head. They blind you. They they start suffocating you. They start beating you at their tentacles while they're attached to your face. <laughs> and they're just really annoying while other things hurt you also. Goodness, you're a monster. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I want to play with you. Uh, I like, uh, I don't think, again, I don't think there are enough demons at low levels. Um, so I like to bring a dretch in. I was just Ooh. looking at, yeah, I like to bring the dretch in. I was just looking at, uh, fifth edition. They took away the, I feel like in Pathfinder, dretches could summon another dretch. That's, that's something that they play around still with in fifth edition, but it's not as prevalent at the lower levels yet. Okay. Yeah, there was a dredge. The dredge used to be able to summon another dredge, but I just love the I love the flavor of the dredge. They're just they're just miserable creatures, uh, and they're so miserable that they get that they, that they're mad about it. Yeah, uh, so they're very fun to play as a solo monster. Like, especially if you can get the players to talk to them a little bit. It's very fun to play them as a down and out kind of a grumpy Eeyore oh, yeah. type. Uh, they're not as much fun in combat. They're mostly just a bag of hit points. Yeah. But uh, I just looked it up in fifth. Now they have a uh, a poison cloud, which is kind of cool because <laughs> you know my my juvenile sensibilities makes that them just they're farting because yeah. it's these big old fat little big dummies. <laughs> yeah. Anything else? Dredges. I also like to, I like I like to throw pixies at my party. Um, technically, they are a, they are under CR one. Um, I have I don't think I've ever had a party that tried to fight them. Mm. Um, but it still, in my mind, it still counts as an encounter. Um, so, you know, I, I like to, if, if they're in the Feywild or if they're running around in the, in a deep forest or something, I like to throw a little, a little, uh, pixie circle and, and, uh, I, I, in one campaign, in one campaign I had a, they, they met some pixies and, and the pixies decided that they should, uh, you know, be a part of their court and they played, uh, they had like a tea party with the party and, uh, I think the parties, the party, they all woke up. 
and they didn't know where they were, and they had some like little trinkets from the pixies. So in their the pockets. pixies kind of roofied them. Yeah, right. Yeah, and just hung out with them. But then they ended up getting getting some some bonus stuff from it. So that's it, cool. Yeah, you know, out of out of combat interactions with pixies, I think are really fun. Oh yeah. So throw a pixie in somewhere. My next two monsters are also evil monsters. Yeah, uh, it's a total. But we'll have you know that my number one, from what you, I'm friend. saving, okay. is not like that at all. So that was that, that's my, three. My number one choice is is not. Um, out to to ruin your lives completely. <laughs> um, but I love the rust monster. Oh, just sure. because it's it's annoying forever. That's another garbage monster. Go on. Uh, it, it is. That's why I like it. And you just, then you like the lurker above. But, so what I liked more is that in the 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 little flavor description and stuff for them, these guys can be trained as pets. So you just oh, feed nice. them like little scraps of metal and stuff, and you can you can tame them because they're not they're not. They're, they're neutral monsters. They don't care about anything besides eating. Um, and so if you leave behind those scraps of iron and stuff for them, uh, they can be trained as pets, which I thought was hilarious. But my, my notes uh, literally for these guys was they can be useful and annoying at later levels, but mostly they're little assholes and can be trained as pets. And I love that about nice. them. But, yeah, I like the fact that you can ruin someone's life later on when... Mm-hmm. They can kill these things. Super uh, I like. I'm pretty generic here. I like undead, so I like skeletons and zombies. Yeah. Um, again, good. kind of like the the giant the giant spider. That was a good way to talk about that. Like it's something that people are already used to. It's something yeah. that people have already seen before. They know what to deal with. But you can tweak stuff. You know, you can make you know make the zombies fast zombies or. You know, make the zombies into those trick birthday candles where they die once and then they come back. There's a lot of little stuff like that that you can kind of do to manipulate it. Give the skeletons armor, um, you know, stuff like that that messes with people. And then my fifth one, I think, I don't know, you guys will have to tell me whether this counts. It's not in the books, but I like to, on my encounter tables, I like to put a rival adventuring party. Mm. Uh that the party has an option of either working with or fighting against. Like I don't like I don't decide ahead of time that they're going to attack them. But uh, you know, if you make a, a, a an equivalent level party, I don't think not quite equivalent level, but like so you come to the table with a nine characters pre-made. Well, ready see, yeah, to I go. knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Normally four or five. A lot of times there's a healer and a and a gotcha. and a fighter and a and a wizard, but. Something like that, that, that maybe the players might re- realize that they're not the only people in the world who are out adventuring. Yeah. Um, and let them make a decision about, well, do I, you know, do we want to attack them? Do we want to work with them? Do we, are they our rivals? Are they our friends? Do we trade information? Um, that's fun. That's an interesting oh, yeah, encounter. And it can sure. go so many different ways. Man, that's a really fun encounter. Sweet. Well, I'm just going to throw out my last one, and then, Micah, you can finish this off with however many you have left. I, my, I have my last two, yeah. Perfect. Uh because mine kind of runs along with Sam's uh, skeletons and zombies in that same flavor of like what can a player recognize. Uh, my top one, the one that I really like, are Velociraptors or Deinonychus <laughs> in that like right? because I think even more than spiders, like everyone has seen Jurassic Park, and and I think that our context of Velociraptor and Velociraptors are downsized in D and D, and Deinonychus are more the what you imagine, um, but. Everybody has seen Jurassic Park. Everybody has that kid terror right. inside of them for that. And uh, so it's kind of a thing that D&D lets you use. Not a whole lot of other fantasy stories have dinosaurs. In, I mean, a lot of them do, but, but the bigger ones, you know, Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, no dinosaurs. So 
it's just kind of a fun thing. Drop some. I just did uh, maybe a few months ago. I dropped some Thinonicus uh, uh, hunting a dragon uh, in the swamp, and I don't know if my players were more terrified of the dragon or the right. velociraptors that were hunting it. Right. And that's always super fun because they're they're a low level creature. They they really can do some damage, but that's that's not their purpose. Their purpose is that you can kind of draw out some of that actual fear that the players have at the table. I remember that game because we were planning to maybe fight this thing because it was a, a smaller one. It wasn't... A smaller dragon. Yeah, yeah. yeah a, but uh, then the Velociraptors came out and pounced on it. And we're like, all right, I think we're just going to go around the edge here, let them have their meal, and hopefully they won't chase us down. We didn't know what CR or whatever he put these things at. We just... Uh, we knew he used random roll tables, and they just killed this small dragon without too much difficulty. And we're like, eh, maybe not. We'll just leave. <laughs> Probably made the right call. Yeah. What? Uh, so what do you have as your top two or your, so your last this, two? This, I think, is the most dickish monster. Well, for, for a low CR, I think this is the most dickish monster in the book. Uh, and that's the Shadow. Uh, yeah, this thing has resistances to nearly everything. Uh, the only thing it's weak to is radiant. Yeah. Uh, it, it has a ton of immunities. You can't poison it. Can't knock it prone. You can't paralyze it. Whatever else. Uh, and then you can't run away from it either because as long as it has an inch, like a square inch opening, it can squeeze through, and it can just chase you forever. Um, the only saving grace is if you can stay away until like it's daylight or something uh it's super weak uh stuff like that uh but what makes this guy really scary is that he does a ton of damage for a half cr creature it's 2d6 plus two on average you're gonna down most level one players and if it doesn't kill them he drains like a a d4 or something worth of strength from them to make them even less effective and if either their strength or their hit points reach zero from this attack they spawn another shadow. So you're, you're draining, like, it just can snowball out of control really fast, and these guys are a half CR. The reason I like them, one, because I'm a terrible person, and I think that is hilarious, uh, but my goal is never to TPK my party. I've never, ever... My goal is not to TPK a party, but my top four monsters I have specifically mentioned can TPK an entire party. They, you know, <laughs> they make them scared. That's all I want. Just terrify them. Um, but, uh, yeah, the reason I like them is because it does give some other characters maybe a chance to shine. So your cleric uses Guiding Bolt or something like that on them and smokes them. Um, stuff like that. There's, there's a few instances where other players can, uh, get a good opportunity to do something cool that is otherwise this incredibly terrifying thing that your fighter or your barbarian or something can't deal with. And then my final one, as promised, this is not a, a super dangerous... Uh, creature. My my favorite creature in there is the Boggle. It's a, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a 1-8 CR, and yep. all they do is prank people. Uh, they 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 will run from a fight before they ever try to actually get into one. Uh, they can excrete oil from themselves, so if you're trying to catch them, they can just make themselves slippery and squirt out and run away. Uh, they can open, as long as they have some sort of frame that is within like a 10-foot boundary, they can make a 30-foot portal even if they can't see the other destination, they just pick a pick a direction and a distance, and they can like 
pop through. <laughs> so, you know, they, they see you off in the distance and they reach through this portal and tie your shoes together and you fall over or uh, anything. I just love them because they, they are the ultimate, I feel like, prankster. And I love the dimensional rift. And I really want to just mess with people now. <laughs> so. Very cool. Well, Sam, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us for the last hour. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate it. Can you tell the audience one more time uh, where they can find your podcast, where they could check uh, check out your stuff? Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, so the, my main podcast is called According to the Technical Rules. You can look it up on iTunes or Google Play uh, or on Facebook. They're all just at According to the Technical Rules. Um, and I didn't mention this before, but I'm also involved with a D&D project uh, called Blogs on Tape, hmm. which is we read, this is part of uh, the online D&D community, we read good blog posts and basically make audiobooks out of blog posts. So like that you blog can, play. Uh, what's that? Like your blog play-by-play. No, like blog commentary about how, about playing Dungeons & Dragons. Really? Yep. That's cool. Yeah. So one of the ones I read was about orcs and how they are, uh, the how orcs relate to their deities, stuff like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So check that out. It's blogs on tape. Um, it's the website is part of a blogger um, named Papers and Pencils. Uh huh. So you can find them that way. So you guys ought to check that out too. Actually, uh, definitely, definitely. The goal the goal there is also sort of a commuter podcast. It's about thirty minutes each episode is just one person reading a blog. Uh, about cool stuff. So cool, yeah, awesome. check that out too. Blogs on tape. Blogs on tape. Very cool. Uh, well, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we will be back with our weekly episode here in the next few days. Uh, until then, uh, thanks for listening. See ya. Chomp, chomp. That's me taking a bite out of D&D. <laughs>